Hello and welcome to Grassfed and Graceside Podcast. I'm Maddie Rose, and I hope you all had a great weekend. I know I did. I'm super excited about the news. I know not everyone is, obviously, but if you haven't heard um, the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade um, has been a huge win for those who are um, pro-life and against um, abortion and the practice of abortion in America. And if you haven't heard that, well, maybe, you know, I can give you get you a little bit caught up here. But I just wanted to talk about that topic. You know, I'm not primarily a current events type podcast, but this is really near and dear to my heart as a mother, as someone who's lost babies before, someone who has a special needs child. Um, You know, I'm a woman, of course, I'm a Christian, and, you know, I operate from the Christian worldview, and and I have strong feelings about this, and I wanted to just kind of talk today because it's so important, it's a really important topic right now, it is timely, and it's a big deal, and I just wanted to kind of discuss this issue from a specific angle, in particular view of... um, kind of in the light of pregnancy loss and that experience and just that kind of different lens. Um, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of conversation going on right now and it can be very volatile and it can be very difficult, but I just want to address it from just as a woman with experience, kind of, I'm baffled at some of the responses to this that I've seen from people I thought would be on the same page as I am and that's kind of upsetting in its own sense, but yet, from an apologetics perspective, understanding uh, where they're coming from, what the Bible says, what the science says, um, just this whole kind of ideology behind the abortion movement and this whole conversation, I just kind of want to address some of those things, and um, I specifically want to talk, again, like I said, about it in the light of those who have experienced Um, pregnancy, um, and especially pregnancy that has uh, ended in loss, because, you know, I have had a couple um, miscarriages and a stillbirth as well, and so, you know, that's a unique to me and many other women um, kind of situation, and so I just want to go through that. But before I really get into it, just in case, if you're listening and you don't fully understand what this is even about, what Roe v. Wade is, what it means. I just wanted to give you a brief history just to kind of get you caught up. This is not going to be, um, you know, super thorough or anything like that, but essentially Roe v. Wade is a Supreme Court decision that came down in 1973 and it addresses whether or not it is constitutional for state governments to legislate and restrict the practice of abortion. And they base their opinion off the 14th Amendment, saying that it should be a private matter for women and not legislated by the government, um, I believe, up until the 23rd week of pregnancy when they considered babies to be viable outside of the womb. Um, But essentially that is, you know, the case. It's been almost 50 years. It's been my entire lifetime and before that that this has been on the books. So this is a big change for a lot of people, you know, unless you're over 50 years old and then some because you would have been just a baby at the time, you probably only remember this being the case. And um, anyways, so that was on the books and essentially, like what I said, it restricts the states from having laws that would ban or restrict abortion prior to uh, the 23rd week. And I know that different states have pushed things and they've kind of gotten around it in some ways, like Uh, taking away funding and different things like that. But again, this is just a real, you know, short kind of uh, catching up here on what Roe v. Wade is. Now, what happened on Friday is the Supreme Court decision from 1973 was overturned and ruled not constitutional. And what that has done is it has not, this is what has not done, has not banned abortion in America as a whole. But what it has done is it said that it's for the states to determine 
So the states now have the ability to uh, legislate and ban or restrict abortion. And many states already did have laws in the books that banned or restricted abortion. Some have newer ones in preparation for this. They kind of anticipated this decision. And, of course, other ones, like my home state of New Mexico, where I grew up, unfortunately, um, as far as I know, are, like, wide open for abortions, and they're very proud of it. So that's essentially what overturning Roe v. Wade has done. It is now given it up to the states. Um, to determine what is legal, and right now the majority of states do have restrictions on abortion. And hopefully that remains, you know, from obviously I'm, you know, my cards are out. <laughs> I am very much against abortion. And I know that this is a very touchy subject for people, but I kind of want to cover some of those things. But I wanted to at least start here with what I experienced, and probably many of you experienced over the weekend, was the shock of some of the people that, what they were saying in response to this, being saddened over this decision, and people being upset, and of course the protesting. Now, in a sense, you expect it from, of course, the more outspoken people, but there are others that I saw posting about this that I was honestly surprised. And not just people I personally know, I'm not calling anyone out, um, but also people I don't know, but uh, just based on who they were affiliated with, you know, whatever it is, whether they're claiming to be Christian or whatever that is, I was just really surprised to see what these people were saying online and their sadness and anger towards this overturning decision. And anyways, um, it was upsetting, and it really just inspired me to make this episode here. So what I kind of wanted to read, this is something that I saw going around on social media, and it really, y'all, it, it disturbs me, this um, concept of creating cutesy euphemisms for abortion, because I'm not going to mince words here, y'all. Abortion is murder. I... Th- you just can't deny that. Um, biblically, of course, as a Christian worldview, absolutely abortion is murder. The Bible doesn't have a separate word for an unborn child and a child. You see here, I'll just read real quick here. I have it pulled up. Uh, in Luke 1, with Jesus, you know, Mary was told that she's going to conceive a child by the Holy Spirit, and Mary goes after this, and she goes, um, arises with haste into the hill country. This is in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed the loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. So, first of all, you have two instances here. You have Mary, who had just essentially, it seems obvious, conceived by the Holy Spirit. You know, she's a virgin. She has Christ in her womb, truly God, truly man, in her womb, very early on. We have no, like, indication that this was some, like, crazy, you know, pregnancy experience where she just is, like, given a nine-month-old baby or, you know, gestationally nine-month-old in her womb. Like, she grew and, um, and the baby grew. Christ grew within her as every other human does. He was just conceived, of course, by the Holy Spirit within her womb. But you also have Elizabeth, her cousin, who is six months pregnant here with John the Baptist. And he leaps in Elizabeth's womb at the mere presence of Christ being in the womb of Mary. So you can even see there, biblically, not to mention all the texts in the Old Testament, you know, Psalm 139, that's another one, um, where it talks about him being known, um, trying to pull it up here. Sorry. I'm like terrible at saying verses out loud when like I have them memorized and then I go to 
<laughs> saying that loud, I'm like, wait, do I know this? Uh, Psalm 139, for you, sorry, verse 13, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, and when as yet there was none of them. I also think it's interesting that, at least in some of the um, like Genesis accounts and um, descriptions of genealogies, you have like Adam knew his wife, so-and-so knew their wife. It's It's not just that he was born, but that, you know, obviously them knowing their spouse resulted in conception. And so we see, obviously, from a biblical standpoint, that life begins at conception. But we also now know that scientifically, life also begins at conception. And I will talk about that here briefly in more detail, but keep that in mind. This is not just a Christian's you know, forcing the religion down the throats of others kind of situation. Of course, as a Christian, I can look at the Bible and say that, but because the Bible is true, an infallible word of God, of course, science is going to affirm that. And so we see here that science, when we talk about life, you know, affirms that life begins at conception. So that's why abortion is murder. Um, because you're killing a life, you're taking a life, and especially a vulnerable one, one that has no voice, which we are called to stand up for. And we see evidence of that early in um, Christianity. In fact, I was going to hold this until later, but I think it's topical to read it right now. So uh, the Didache here, which is a early Christian document um, estimated by some from around AD 70, which would have been 40 years after Christ, where it says, um, here it says, the second commandment of the teaching, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not seduce boys, you shall not commit fornication, you shall not steal, you shall not practice magic, you shall not use potions, you shall not procure an abortion nor destroy a newborn child. And of course, in those days, which has been common for probably ever in all different types of cultures. Um, one of the things that they would do is if children were born, they would let them out to um, die um, from exposure. You know, if they weren't a baby, like maybe the gender was what they didn't want or they had certain birth defects or were considered a weak child. I know like the Spartans would like leave them out to just die, leave them in the mountains and stuff. But Anyways, this was a very common practice during that culture, and so the early Christians were really addressing the issue of abortion. Uh, people would take, you know, certain medications to try to induce abortion, um, and different procedures, of course, to try to induce abortion. And then after they had a, a child, many of them would leave them out to exposure and do many other unspeakable things. So the Christians were certainly called not to do those things, and in fact, many of them, they would actually go out and find these babies that were exposed and raise them as their own. But you also have here from the letter of Barnabas, it may or may not have actually been written by him. It's not considered scripture or anything, but it's an interesting read and it's from around uh, AD 74. Here it says, um, translated obviously, thou shalt not slay the child by procuring abortion nor again shalt thou destroy it after it is born. So early, early Christianity, um, in step with scripture and biblical truths, of course, were very against abortion in any form, considered it murder, killing, and whether it's, you know, killing newborns or killing um, babies in the womb and preventing the pregnancy from progressing, it was definitely outlawed. So, yes, murder. Abortion is murder. wonder if I've said that enough. I'm going to keep saying it. So, again, and here, look, you probably haven't stayed listening this long if, you know, you're a different 
<laughs> viewpoint on this, but I hope you have. And I'm just going to say also for anyone who has had an abortion or knows someone that's had an abortion, stay tuned. I want to talk to you a little bit specifically at the end of this episode, but uh, I just, I'm not going to mince words here on what the truth really is, and the truth will set us free, and we have to acknowledge that, and we can't just try to hide and create these euphemisms about what it really is in order to protect people that might um, feel upset that, you know, it's calling out something that they've done, or, or at least affirmed and advocated for as what it really is. That doesn't help anyone, you know, trying to make it sound lesser by calling it woman's health. Or in this case, the thing I said I was going to read that was circulating around the internet, camping. So here it is. It says, if you are a person who suddenly finds yourself with a need to go camping, but need a ride, or even to go to another state to camp, a state friendly towards camping, just know that I will happily drive you, support you, and not talk about the camping trip, quote-unquote, to anyone ever. If you know, you know. And of course, this extends to the many children of my friends, which I think is ironic because how your your friends can have many children if you're advocating for them to kill them on a quote-unquote camping trip. Now, obviously, she's not talking about a real camping trip. If she was, this belongs on Dateline because I've seen those shows before where people have taken someone to go camping and then they come back and, oh, so-and-so is missing. Uh, that's a that's a murder trip right there is what that is. And, of course, they're not actually talking about camping. I don't think anyone thinks that they're going to go have an abortion in a tent. But it's a euphemism and they're trying to get away with talking about this, and oh, it's cute, and I'm gonna go take you camping, and I totally support you, and I'm not gonna talk to you about it, and we're just, and I'm just gonna take you or your children to go on a camp to go kill your baby. That's insane, and what's extra insane about this is some of the people I've seen share this, again, not calling any one person out. I've seen enough people share it that this is not directed at any one person, but I have seen, um, people that I know who have grieved the loss of their babies, whether born and died, you know, post, like as a newborn or within a few days or months, as well as in the womb, you know, stillbirth and uh, miscarriage. And, you know, I'm in a lot of those circles because I've experienced themselves and I've bonded with some of these women over the years. And I'm just so appalled that these same women who have grieved and buried their children that have died in the womb and remember their losses every year and reflect on them and do all the same things that I do about my own losses can turn around and advocate someone to end the life of the, the child in their womb. It just, it boggles my mind. It absolutely boggles my mind. And I know, I know from reading and studying why they're coming to these conclusions, but it's obviously not consistent with truth, and it's not consistent with the biblical worldview, and I, I know most of these women are all considering themselves Christian, but some of them are, and that should really concern us, that Christians are advocating for abortion and choice and calling it women's health, and they're trying to label it all in this, you know, candy wrapper, you know, gift basket message of women's health and we need to be for women and and women are going to die because we're allowing or we're forcing this pregnancy on them. It's just absolutely ridiculous. For one, I have the unique experience of having a twin pregnancy where my twin boys, they're identical twin boys, were born at 30 weeks and one of my twins was stillborn and the other one survived and was in NICU. And what's unique about that experience, for one, most people don't experience something like that. Um, you know, twins are kind of unique, but not terribly. But e either you lose a child to stillbirth or you go home with one, even if it's in the NICU. But I have this experience of losing a child and having one that were at the same gestational age. And so when Jeremiah, my son who was stillborn, was born, I held him and I held his body and he had hands and feet and a face 
and I held him. And his brother, who continues to be alive right now, was in the NICU, and he was there, and he was alive, and he was responsive, and that was at 30 weeks. Some of these people are advocating for abortion up to term. But 10 weeks early, and many, many babies even well before that, are living in, of course, you know, with medical help, we need that, but, like, let's be serious, y'all. If, if it's that they need support from the medical systems to survive, then when do we end that with somebody who has COVID? If somebody has COVID and they need a ventilator or they need medication to survive or any other disease, but, you know, COVID's obviously very prevalent right now, but if somebody needs medical assistance to survive, does that mean that they don't actually have a viable life? So where's this arbitrary standard coming from? And that's where this whole conversation kind of leads to is that you have on one side people who rightly see human life as valuable because it is human from a biblical worldview obviously only humans are made in the image of god and life begins at conception but also from a scientific worldview i guess you could call it from a scientific perspective i should say they know now that life does begin at conception in fact in history, it was usually the doctors and medical professionals, not necessarily the religious side of things that were advocating for uh, earlier and earlier bans on abortion because they were realizing that it wasn't just, you know, it used to be when you could feel the baby, then we couldn't perform this or whatever it was. Now it's like, okay, well, then the heartbeat starts here. And now they've basically been able to show that... Um, you know, life begins at conception. Biologically, life begins at conception. Babies that are um, conceived from sperm and egg, they get their entire DNA in that instance. They have all the information that is necessary for their bodies to grow and develop into what they are when they come out of the womb and then continue to grow from there, which is another, I mean, if you're going to kind of set these limits on it, like at what point do you stop? Is it when you finally reached adult maturity? Can we just start like, you know, offing 18 year olds because they're not 25 yet and their frontal lobe hasn't finished, you know, maturing and developing? Like at what point do we stop it there from a biological perspective, physically? Like where does that end? If we're just if we're just trying to create arbitrary standards on what level of development they're at. Because I don't know if you've seen like newborns, but they can't do what a one-year-old can do and a one-year-old can't do what a 10-year-old can do. And then all this other stuff happens. Like at what, at what limit does somebody become valuable and worthy of life from a physical standpoint? And then on the other side of that, then this is what happens. Um, well, here, let me back up just one second because I wanted to quote this. This is from Nancy Piercy's Love Thy Body. I just finished it. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend it, especially on this topic. She covers other things too as well, not just abortion, but just the whole concept of um, human life being valuable from a Christian worldview and what the secular worldview is pushing right now. But she has a quote here on page 61, just from the scientists that were seeing... um, conception like they actually were able to witness i don't know how um the conception of a sperm in an egg and it says here to see the zinc radiate out in a burst from each human egg was breathtaking from one of the scientists and she said that human life literally begins in a bright flash of light and we're at the point now and she asserts this throughout her book that bioethicists um, affirm that life, human life, does actually begin at conception. That's provable. And while kind of the public square continues to kind of debate on, you know, is it a heartbeat? Is it what? What makes them alive? Really, at the more professional research level, they've already they've already reached the consensus that life, in fact, does begin at conception. That a human life, it is uniquely human. It has DNA genetically human begins at conception. And of course that affirms what scripture teaches because again, as I will say, scripture is true. So this, it corresponds to reality here. Um, But, you know, I don't want to make an argument just from science because science is not our ultimate authority, but true science done well 
observable, repeatable science can, of course, affirm the truth of what scripture teaches because it corresponds to reality. And um, that is the situation we're in. However, this conversation quickly shifts when now you have pro-choice, pro-abortion people who are saying, okay, fine, life does begin at conception, but we're still on the side of women, we still think women have the right to choose, and all this kind of stuff, and you have these situations where these pro-abortion apologists, if you will, are trying to grapple with what what level, what, what's the marking here of what is and is not a human, and in their case, they would call persons. So what they've done is they've essentially separated the human biological body from what they would say the person, the moral agent, the inner you, whatever makes you, you. And so what they've done in this in terms of abortion is that they dismiss biological facts, scientific facts. So it is no longer science versus religion, y'all. Don't let somebody tell you that. Somebody um, at my husband's work this last week said, told him that he was a religious fanatic for wanting to assert his religious beliefs on others. And the reality is, is that the people that are doing that now are actually the pro-abortion people. They're asserting their own value systems. And I'll show you here, or I should say Nancy Piercy will show you here why that is the case. But really, Christian beliefs affirm science. So we have science on our side. We have biological facts on our side. And it's now to the point where they now have to disregard biology and those facts in order to push their agenda. And so what they've done is they've created this personhood theory. And what has resulted is that you have a mixed bag of subjective and arbitrary value systems being implemented on when they determine when someone is or isn't a person. Now, when Nancy Piercy is kind of addressing the shift from biology, like biological facts of life, to personhood, she does so by introducing a person by the name of Mary Elizabeth Williams who write wrote an article that she she's pro-abortion and she titled her article so what if abortion ends life and i think these quotes i'm going to quote some of what she says here and you're going to see this and it's honestly this should disturb you but it doesn't like these people are totally okay saying this but here's some of the quotes that she has this is on uh, love thy body page 62 at least in my book there might be other versions out there that are different page numbers but she says, um, I believe that life starts at conception. Throughout my own pregnancies, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. So she, she says that you can't deny that it's a human life. She says when we try to act like a pregnancy doesn't involve human life, we wind up drawing stupid semantic lines in the sand, first trimester abortion versus second trimester versus late term, dancing around the issue trying to decide if there's a single magic moment when a fetus becomes a person. But she does support abortion. So this is what she says. And that she, she believes that has to do with autonomy on her part, that she has the, one, the ability to choose because she has more autonomy than a child. The child can't choose for itself. And she says, a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her, always. And she ends the article saying this, the fetus is indeed a life, a life worth sacrificing. So they're admitting that this is life. They're admitting that these babies, I mean, you can see from her own, she's been pregnant and she knows it's a life. She knows it's a life, but now what we have to do is determine when is a life valuable. When does that make, you know, when do we decide that, okay, well, it's a life, but now how do we, how do we determine whether or not it deserves to live? So what Nancy Piercy does is throughout her book is she just shows the development of personhood theory 
And that's where they come up with all these different determinations as to what they consider um, persons to be. Now, for example, you have, um, let's see, you have here uh, Dr. Watson, who was a co-discoverer of DNA, the double helix structure. Um, he says that a, a baby should be, you should give a baby three days to determine whether or not you should even let it live after it's born. And he says no newborn infant should be declared human until it has passed certain tests regarding its genetic endowment, and if it fails these tests, it forfeits the right to life. Nancy Piercy also uh, quotes someone else, Peter Singer, as saying even a three-year-old is a gray case. But what the reason is that they can come to these different despairing cutoffs, whether it's newborn, three days old, you know, a three-year-old, um, is because they're trying to determine what makes someone a person. So they come up with all these different ideas of what makes you a person. Some of it is, you know, the ability to choose, the ability to um, have your own will. So, for example, they'll say, well, if they can't hope for life, if they can't know what they want, then they're not actually a person because they don't know that they want to live. They're just alive, but they don't have any will yet. They don't have any awareness yet. They don't, um, some, some cutoffs are, um, you know, uh, whether or not they can perform certain tasks, whether or not they can, uh, have critical thinking skills, whether or not they can, I've even, and I can't remember, honestly, if this was in this book or not, but the idea of whether or not they could do algebra. So as you see, the line can continually to move because it's arbitrary and it's based on what people have made valuable, what they've determined is valuable and what justifies human life. But I don't know about you, that sounds familiar to me uh, when we talk about things like the issue of slavery in our past. You know, where, where, um, where have you heard that kind of conversation before? Like, if you're, we're talking about slavery, you're talking about people who devalued um, human life. Now, of course, the course of the history of slavery throughout the world has been different, unique. You know, you did have slaves that were, like, captured in wars throughout all of human history. Um, you've had some that have kind of sold themselves into servitude because they were poor and destitute or in debt. So there's a lot of variations of that. I'm not here to argue about all of that. But I'm just saying in the history of American chattels, Chattel slavery, we have the instance where people were deemed less than persons. They were humans, but they were less than persons. And she has, Nancy Piercy here, has a really, um, you know, I'll just say it's a pretty upsetting paragraph in this book, but because it minces no words, I think it shines light on this whole issue here. So she says, the history of chattel slavery in America and the totalitarian systems of the 20th century give stark evidence of the morally horrific consequences of treating humans as mere things. The slaveholders argued that Africans were less than fully human, then sold, whipped, hunted, raped, and killed them. That's awful. She doesn't say that in her book, but she's asserting that it is awful right there. Then you have here the Nazis. The Nazi propaganda dehumanized Jews, calling them rats and the vermin of mankind, and then murdered six million of them. In the Red Terror, Lenin called whole categories of people former persons, that sounds familiar, or more colorfully, bloodsuckers, vampires, parasites, and class enemies. I mean, how many times have you seen in an abortion rally them called babies parasites or bloodsuckers? And now, of course, not calling them persons. And then here she has... Um, in the 1994 Rwandan massacre, I don't know how to say these tribe names, but the Hutus were incited by violence or to violence by government radio addresses calling the Tutsis cockroaches that must be exterminated. So you, here you have, you can have very vile, and you see this, like people act like that's not a thing, but if you've encountered any sort of like angry, pro-choice, pro-abortion person, um, they've used all this, this argument. They'll liken babies to tumors. 
imagine likening a human being like of course baby's a human being but imagine you know seeing someone on the street and being like they're just a tumor that needs to be eradicated from society that should that should cause alarm if someone says that but yet here we are saying about human life and i think part of the reason that that people are more comfortable saying that is because it's not not right in front of them you know a baby's kind of hidden in the womb you don't see it just like you know wherever you live if you don't have the news and it's not right in your face about what's going on you know in certain places of the world then you're not it's not going to be important and concerning to you because you're not living it right then and there so with an unborn child and the issue of abortion i think a lot of people are okay calling them parasites and stuff because they don't see them but as soon as you look into the eyes of someone it takes it takes a serious amount of self-awareness um away or i guess it gives you amount of self-awareness and it takes a lot of this like kind of euphemizing and and trying to avoid the issue away when you look at a baby like like who could look at a baby and want to kill him both people have done it and we consider them monsters but yet it's okay because they're in the womb because you don't see them and they're you consider them non-persons but that line to be drawn is very arbitrary that is a religion that is a religious argument if it's moral and based on a value system that's a moral argument that is an arbitrary argument now, I would say, of course, Christianity is not arbitrary because it is based on the laws given by a moral lawgiver who is God, and he gives us the standards, and that I believe that the Christian worldview, the biblical account, corresponds to reality. But if you're just asserting this based on moral standards, your own way that you determine value and personhood, based on what a person can do, what they're cognitively capable of doing. Well, that's, like, how is someone who's, who has a disabled child or is disabled themselves going to feel about that? That's why, you know, you have a lot of people within the disability community that should really care about this topic. But surprisingly, I see people that are in the disability community even advocating for women's rights in this area. And the reality is, is that it's not a woman's rights issue. And it's been labeled that. It's been mislabeled as a woman health issue but really you know the government's role is to protect life is to protect the vulnerable is to make sure that we are not murdering one another and women of course deserve lots of rights and the government does not you know have total autonomy over our bodies but the issue for me has always been that it's not your body, it's the body of another child. And, you know, I did mention, I know this episode is getting a little bit long, but it's a big topic. And I did mention, you know, the issue of rape. And the reality is you have to look at it this way. Does someone deserve death because their father is a rapist? Does someone deserve death because they're disabled? Should we kill all the disabled people? Or poor that's one of the, you know, reasons given is, oh, this child's going to be born into poverty or they're going to end up in foster care. Should we go kill the foster children? Should we go, you know, round up all the poor people and kill them? Should we go and tell them that their life is not valuable? Isn't that what we're trying to do when we're trying to affirm these people and tell them that they are valuable, but yet in the same breath, tell them that they aren't? Even if, even if your father is a rapist, I get it. It's a bad thing. Nobody wants that to happen. Nobody, it's awful. Rape is horrible. But you don't respond to something horrible with another atrocity. We shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be advocating that. And there are plenty of other avenues. Don't let somebody tell you that, you know, Christians just are only pro-birth and that they're not pro-life. There are so many crisis pregnancy centers. There are so many uh, different ministries that are there to support single women. And certainly certain churches do need to do a better job of taking care of single women and single mothers and, you know, pregnant teens. Um, parents shouldn't be so concerned about their image, you know, to the outside world that they would kick out their pregnant daughter. You know, that is sad. That's what happens when you have moralism and you don't have the gospel at the forefront, even in churches. You have churches that were teaching a moralistic um, message and not a gospel message. 
And that leads me to the topic of if you yourself have had an abortion and, and, or you know somebody that has, here's the deal. I don't want to shy away, obviously, from what this topic is. I'm not going to say that it was just a clump of cells. Some people have been lied to and kind of sold this bill of goods that it's just a clump of cells, but they know in their heart of hearts that when they label it like that, they're trying to get around the fact that it's life. So I don't want to candy coat that. You know, if you, if you or someone you know had cancer and you went to the doctor's office and you were told that even though you had cancer, like they say the doctor knew you had cancer and it was terminal, but treatable. Terminal in that if you didn't treat it, you would die. But they didn't want to harm you mentally by telling you that you had cancer. They didn't want to upset you. They didn't want to ruin the course of your life right now because you're happy and you don't want to hear the news of cancer. Would that actually be loving or truthful? Because the truth of the matter is that you have cancer and you need to be treated for this cancer in order to hopefully cure it. So the same is true with any type of sin. I know it can be very difficult. It's difficult for me. I love many people and of course I'm a sinner myself. But there are many people that I love that are, you know, they have either done something that is a grievous sin or they are living a lifestyle of that and it can be very difficult to want to call a sin a sin and a spade a spade. But the reality is, is that abortion is murder and we can't circumvent that. I don't think that helps anyone. That's not helpful. It's not helpful to pat a woman on her back and say, oh, you know, it's just a clump of cells. You're, you're better off. That child's better off. Because I know in her heart of hearts, she, she's fighting all of that pain around that. And, and we're searing these people's consciences by continuing that. We're doing no help to the unborn. We're not helping women. But there is a scenario, of course, that women have done this, whether they were believers or not when it happened. I know that there are many Christian women who have been very pro-life but are faced in a dire situation that they felt they couldn't get out of, and they went ahead and had an abortion anyways. And they struggle with this. And there's many who have been forced to, maybe by their parents many years ago. It's maybe not as common anymore, but in order to avoid shame and different things like that. But anyways, what I want to tell these women is that there is hope and forgiveness for you. Of course, you know, this is a serious issue, but as I saw it mentioned by a few different um, pastors online over the weekend, abortion is not the unforgivable sin. You know, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. I can't tell you exactly what that is, but it's not abortion. And if you've had an abortion, you can be forgiven because Christ's blood is enough. So if you trust in Christ and you've repented of all of your sins, including this, you can be forgiven. And of course, we never say like, oh, just go sin so that you can be forgiven. Again, that is not what we do as Christians, but we do sin. And there are some very dark and grievous sins in our life and in our closet and things that we've been struggling with this whole time. But you just have to realize that when you're in Christ, that means that Christ took that sin upon him on the cross. And there was a great message this Sunday at my church on Hebrews 7 about the high priest that we have in Christ and the beauty of him living, always living to intercede for us. That he is currently in heaven interceding with the loving father on our behalf. So he is living to intercede for you. So if you trust in Christ and his righteousness and realize that he has taken on your sins on himself and that all you have to do is trust in him and you can be forgiven because God has already dealt with that that's the thing is that God doesn't just overlook this stuff he doesn't just like poo-poo it away no it's serious and it deserves justice but when you're in Christ the one who received the justice that you deserved the wrath was Christ because your sin was laid on him on the cross Though he was sinless, he bore our sins. So that is the beauty and the hope that we have in the gospel message, including women who have had abortion. And as Christians, we have to be gospel-focused, 
first and foremost. Let's not get caught up in the morality. We don't disregard the commandments of God. But we are not going to be so moralist that we forget the gospel. And that we need to have that at the forefront of what we're doing here. But again, there's so much more that I can say on this, y'all. I deeply disturbed over the weekend over some of the things that I have seen. It saddens me. You know, I'm just talking about rape a little bit ago. And you realize that the way that some of these people are protesting, that it really wasn't about, you know, that emotional case of issues of rape and incest. Most of these people are protesting because it's affecting their sexual freedoms. And we need to be in prayer about this because ultimately it is the gospel that changes the hearts. But even in a godless society, and we're very rapidly becoming very post-Christian in this country, um, people that don't want to hear the truth of their sin and that this is murder, that's why they're labeling it women's health and women's rights um, and camping. (laughs) Um, The reality is that it needs to be called what it is, and it is murder, and it's not okay, and um, we need to be standing up for that truth. But we also need to do it in love, and I don't want to be reviling and kind of returning that hate for hate because it can be so easy to fall into that trap, especially when we're disgusted. We don't want to gloat in this decision, but we should also rejoice. And there is a difference between gloating and rejoicing. And we just need to be praying for our country, obviously, for these individuals. We can do our part, of course, to help and... I think that is important. You know, we are called to care for the orphans and the widow. And there's a lot of uh, help that we can do. But that is also being done. Again, like I know I have friends that are on waiting lists to adopt. So there are plenty of, of us out there who are trying to help these women, whether it's adoption, financial support um, for young single mothers that need help and um, assistance during education and all that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of programs out there don't fall into the trap of thinking that if, you know, people don't have access to abortion or Planned Parenthood that um, they're not getting help and that we don't care about women. We do care about women. We care about you from the moment of conception. And um, we care about who you are. And the human, sorry, the Christian worldview is that to be human is to be both biologically a human and spiritually a human. We are one body And our level of personhood doesn't just begin when we start saying our ABCs. We're dreaming of becoming a doctor someday. Like, you are valuable from the beginning. Whether you were disabled, whether you were poor, whether your parents were drug addicts or rapists or what have you. Like, every human being has intrinsic value, and your body is important, and women are given the gift of being able to bear and give life, and that should be embraced and not scorned and not just hidden away, and it's such an important topic to me, but, you know, especially as a mother who has lost babies, you know, I think that's important, but it is an argument from emotion. And um, that's not the only way we, we make an argument. Just because it's emotional, you know, to me, because I've lost babies, doesn't make it right or wrong intrinsically. But it is wrong because it goes against what scripture says. And we have the science to back that up, that human life begins at conception. And therefore, ending a life um, is murder. So, of course, I mean, this is a long, this is my longest episode so far. Um, and it's just me talking. I'm sorry. You just had to hear me talk the whole time. But this really is an important topic for me, and it should be for you. And I hope that, you know, check out Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body. If you want to read more about this personhood theory, it will make so much of this more understandable to you if you're like me and just have a hard time wrapping your mind around why, how people can divide the two between having your own babies and being excited and then advocating for the murder of another one, you know, really look into that. It's again, it's Nancy Piercy's Love Thy Body. And again, remember that there's always hope in Christ, that the gospel is for everyone. 
that abortion is not the unpardonable sin, that every human life is valuable, and that ultimately we need the gospel. So thank you for listening. I hope you made it all the way to the end here um, on this important topic. I hope that, you know, you are able to just rejoice in this decision and pray for the future of our country as well as, you know, the future for babies all over the world and that human life all over in all the different aspects that it needs to be will be valued again and treated with dignity and love um, in a way that, you know, we ought to be as human and humankind all over the world in every culture and every government system. So continue to pray for that. Um, If you haven't already, please subscribe to my podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. Um, And if you haven't, also maybe give a review. Those really do help um, to have my podcast be found. The only reason, again, that I do these podcasts is hoping that I can add value to your life. They are certainly not to um, make a name for myself by any means, but I do hope that they add value to your life and that you are blessed by them. So again, thank you for listening. I really enjoyed my time with you today. Continue to be grass-fed and grace-led. Thank you and God bless.